0: dear hank and john or is i prefer to think of it dear john and hank it's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions give you dubious advice and bring you all the week's news from both mars and afc wimbledon john yeah so john it was just father's day and and oren looked up at me on father's day and he said well it's sunday every week i don't get it because it's his day sunday he's my son oh oh yeah, it's pretty bad. Hey, can we talk about the fact that your book that comes out in July, A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor, uh-huh. just got its first review and it's a rave review from Library Journal? For those of you who don't know a ton about the world of book publishing, when these pre-publication journals like the one I used to work for, which is called Booklist or Library Journal or Publishers Weekly, when they review your book, they either give it a regular review or they give it something called a starred review where they a put a little starred. star. Yeah, there's a little star. A star next next to the review and that's It's very good. It's it's very good to get a starred review. It's hard to do. Surprisingly important. Uh, If you don't know about it, everybody just starts talking about it like an amazing thing happened. And you're like, I don't know. It's like you're talking in a different language. But now that's my second book. I do know. Right. And also, a lot of times people are like, my book got a starred review and you want to be like, just one star? That sounds horrible. Like (laughs) On John's podcast, The Anthropocene (laughs) Reviewed, cholera gets one star. (laughs) Yeah, but so no, it's the maximum number of stars you can get. It, it's the most stars you can get. And Hank just received a star review, or I should say Hank's book just received a star review <laughs> from Library Journal. And I mean, it's very well deserved and it's just a great review here. I'll give you the verdict, Hank. Throughout this adventurous, witty, and compelling novel, Green delivers sharp social commentary on the power of social media and both the benefits and horrendous consequences that follow when we give too much of ourselves to technology, which which really does get to the heart of the book and what's so brilliant about it. And I'm just thrilled for you that this reviewer got what you were doing Thanks. Uh, I have spent so much time w- worrying about how and I'm, you know, obviously this isn't the end of that, but uh, worrying about how the book's going to be received and, and getting the the having the first review that I saw be positive. It, it feels very good. I literally jumped up and down and <laughs> said, hooray. Uh, so I let myself have that moment of just being really excited. And it was great. Uh, and now I want to make a podcast with you. Well, I am excited to make a podcast, too, but I should say that Hank's book, A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor, comes out July 7th, and you can pre-order a signed copy if you live in the United States right now. Except not on Amazon, because they already sold out on Amazon. Good. Pre-order it from somewhere else. (laughs) This first question comes from Stella, who asks, Dear Hank and John, what happens when a virus dies? Do they disintegrate into nothingness, or do they just lay there dead for a long time? Is Earth a burial ground full of the corpses of virus, bacteria, and dead things we cannot see? Is there a Journey to the Microcosmos video that talk about all these corpses? I don't want to live in a cemetery. Stella, Stella, too bad! Yeah, you live in a cemetery, Stella. (laughs) Not only do you live in a cemetery, Stella, you live, like, among, inside, within, and without of a cemetery. You are a cemetery. You really are. Like, there's a cemetery inside of you, and there's also a cemetery on your skin, but you're uh, also breathing a cemetery. You are also just made of things that were once in other organisms. Like, we know that because we eat them. Yeah, I I think sometimes people don't uh, fully grasp the extent to which we are like a collection Mm -hmm. of atoms that have chosen to work together for a while. Yeah, yeah, and all the sort of the, uh, the, the energy that keeps it from falling apart... Originally came from the sun, which I love. Yeah. Very nearly all, unless you're eating something from the deep sea vent or uh, some kind of chemosynthetic bacteria from Yellowstone National Park. We are just, we are held together by sunlight, which is better, which is a better thought than I am a cemetery, but both are true. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard to talk about the extent to which we are made out of sunlight because it becomes cheesy so quickly, right? Like, (laughs) The moment you say, like, (laughs) we are sunlight, everybody's like, oh, that's a cringe. That's a big cringe for me. Okay. But it's true. I actually made an episode of the Anthropocene Reviewed about sunsets because I didn't know how to live with the fact that sunsets are both very beautiful and extremely trite, Mm -hmm. right? Like, if if you paint a sunset, everybody's like, oh, I think I've seen a painting of a sunset before. But the truth is, they are wildly beautiful and <laughs> really you have to yeah. overcome your cynicism mm-hmm. and th- you know this irony that you use as armor in order to protect yourself from the world you have to overcome that to acknowledge and welcome in how freaking beautiful it is that we are all made of sunlight yeah i feel as if my life is is about constructing the right sort of armor the right sort of strength that allows the the light through you know yeah and yeah I want to be able to look at a flower and be like, what? Look at that. That's... Wow. Or just a bug, or my son, or the son, or any of that stuff. Like, right. But, but yeah, I mean, we also need protection. I have such a complicated relationship with sincerity. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't help but be earnest. And it's something that I actually like about myself and and want to cultivate. Yeah. But I also know very well how annoying over earnestness (laughs) is. Like, I am aware. Oh, yeah. That, that, like, to, to, to try to live in this world earnestly, is to, like, be on an absolute knife's edge because on the other side of that lies empty platitudes and BS Mm -hmm. encouragement Mm -hmm. and, you know, everything happens for a reason. Right. Hoo-ha. Yep. Anyway, when viruses die, they, they don't disintegrate into nothingness. Viruses are made up of a bunch of different molecules. And in fact, you can detect a virus even after it has died. So when... Uh, scientists are testing to see, like, if a surface has been has like uninfectable amount of coronavirus on it. They can't just like swab it like they swab your nose and then run a DNA test to see if their DNA is there, because the DNA could be there even if the virus is dead. Like the, like, the DNA remains even if a virus has died. So what they have to do is actually use it to try and infect something to see if there is a reaction or, or, or an infection that happens. So, so yes, the DNA, the RNA, the genetic material remains even after the virus is no longer capable of infecting something. Uh, and it breaks down over time. But, like, those molecules just sort of sit there in a thin film over everything, <laughs> Yeah. Very thin film, though. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's some encouragement. I, gu- I guess I can take a measure of comfort in the thinness of the film. Sorry. Uh, yeah, it might, be, it might be more like specs than film. Okay. That's even better. Depending on how how often you clean. The point is, you can see through it to see <laughs> the beauty of a sunset. Absolutely. All right, Hank, we got a lot of questions this week along the lines of this one from Eli who wrote... Hi, I'm Eli, and I'm a 19-year-old transgender man. I've been out for about three years now, and I've been on hormones for about 1.5 years. I love Harry Potter, as many of your listeners probably do, but recently, with J.K. Rowling's tweets and articles about trans people, I don't know how to feel. I feel really frustrated because I've had to work for the validation of my gender every day of my life, and to hear stuff like this hurts. But I also just feel really sad. I know I shouldn't care what others think, but it stings to have the creator of such an amazing universe open mock and criticize your existence. How do y'all feel about it? How did you react to her saying things like this? And how do I continue to enjoy her work? Or can I? Any advice would be appreciated, Eli. I mean, first, I will, I would not say that you shouldn't care how other people think. Like we have to, that's, we're human and we listen. And, you know, we put a lot of stock in the creators of the things that we love and we want to listen to them and we want to appreciate them and and finding out that they have invalidated you, that they have a, a damaging perspective. They believe things that are, frankly, from my perspective, difficult to understand how one could believe. Of course it is sad and and you should care. Well, it- it's not only that though, Hank. It's also that these people who have a lot of power and have a lot of yeah. money and mm-hmm. have a, a voice that gets amplified onto national n- news services. Yeah. When they say things that are hurtful, they it are hurts. harmful. Yeah. It 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 hurts in every way. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really important to say at the beginning, Eli, to you and to anybody who's listening, trans rights are human rights. Mm-hmm. And that shouldn't be a political statement. That is the consensus mm-hmm. of medical and scientific professionals mm-hmm. that that is where we are mm-hmm. so I I don't know how to tell you how to feel about Harry Potter now I don't feel like it's my place to tell you how to feel about Harry Potter yeah I do have a book recommendation uh, which is Jackson Bird's book sorted it's it's a wonderful book written by a really important member of the Harry Potter fan community who helped lead the HP fan community into activism, into the idea of decreasing world suck. And part Mm -hmm. of what's been so heartbreaking about this on a, on a personal level for Hank and me is that the Harry Potter fan community really gave Nerdfighteria a lot of its initial energy and modeled for us what communities online could accomplish, what they could, what they could do when, when people work together, they helped found the project for awesome. And Yeah. It's just, it, it, it was really, it's really sad. It's really disheartening. It's discouraging. And I'm sorry. I think that reading Jackson's uh, memoir is great. Jackson's also a, a friend of ours, has been for a long time now and really proud of him. And, uh, and I think that he has probably the, the perspective you might be looking for right now. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah. So I, I hope you like sorted as, as much as, as I did and, and feel like it, can maybe be part of helping chart a path forward. All right, Hank, we have another question. This one's from Catherine who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm 25 and I've been temporarily promoted to head of the entire digital marketing department at my mid-sized company while my boss is on maternity leave. It's been an awesome but overwhelming experience. One of the biggest issues has been that I am a plucky young lady whose job now largely consists of meetings with the office-weathered 35 to 50-year-old men. I feel really seen right now. (laughs) Office weathered, <laughs> man. That description, office weathered. <laughs> Catherine tells me that you deserve every bit of your job as the head of digital marketing at a mid-sized company. Uh-huh. I mean, if anything, uh-huh. maybe you should be the head of digital marketing for all of human experience. <laughs> office weathered. What a, what a phrase that yeah, is. I can see it. I can see. Oh. I can see the the, the worn patches. On the flannel shirts. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. All these guys seem to value my input, and I'm generally quite confident in my work, but every time I walk into a meeting with them—oh, remember walking into meetings? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every time I Zoom into a meeting with them, I instantly feel like the world's smallest child and it all faith that I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Brothers, how do I not feel like a kid in a room full of grumpy dads? Mm. So Catherine, the first thing I'd say is that it's, it's partly the job of those office-weathered people to help you feel comfortable and to make space for your voice because they need it, yeah. like they benefit from it. The company as a whole benefits from having you as their head of digital marketing, like they need somebody who understands that world and can navigate it effectively. And you are that person, like you have a kind of expertise that they don't have. Yeah, I mean, you are you're in those rooms to to help solve the problems that they have to help uh, to help do the business that they do. And so and, and it's important to remember this, like when you're new, but also in the future when you won't be new anymore. Like, how do we feel? And it's totally normal to feel, you know, like new in a new space. But look at the ways that people helped you feel empowered in your work so that you can do that for other people in the future when they're the new person, when they don't look like everyone else in the office. And and that is how we like do a better job of all of the work that we're doing, because we can't just do it from one perspective, is what we uh, we continue to learn. And they... Yeah, they really, they need you right now. And that's the thing to keep in mind. I would argue, I would argue that we can't just do it from one perspective is a thing that we continue to not learn, but yeah, <laughs> you're right. Well, yeah. It's a thing that we should learn. Yes, and they they need you. I just think that, like, that's the thing that I tried to remember when I'm in rooms uh, where where I feel like the sort of smallest potato is, I don't know why I'm a potato in this scene, but I am. And uh, to, to remember that, like I've been asked in that room for, for a reason and- to try and, like, do that thing that I'm there to do. Yeah. So I hope that it becomes more comfortable for you over time, Catherine, and that soon you're the head of all of marketing at a mid-sized company. And eventually, one day, I look forward to working for you when you are the (laughs) head of marketing at WNYC. Yes. Please invite us to speak at your corporate events back when that's a thing again. Oh, God, I love a corporate event gig. I just... (laughs) I really do. I really do. I think my favorite part of it is the check. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're just like, let me take care of you for a day and pay you for it. And I've been uh, doing several, I've done several now that are, that are, uh, I do in exchange for donations to Partners in Health, which I love because like the, uh, the reaction that they have and I'm like, I need more money, but I need you to give it away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is, yeah. By I, the way, yeah. if you hire people for corporate speaking gigs and your corporation is willing to make a donation to partners in health, send us an email. Let us know. We're at hankandjohn at gmail.com. <laughs> and we've got twenty-five million dollars to raise. So And we ain't cheap. <laughs> <laughs> well, speak for yourself, Hank. Like I'm I'm quite reasonably priced, I think. <laughs> John, this next question comes from Michaela, who asks, Dear Hank and John, because the world is hard right now, I've been rewatching Brotherhood 2.0. Wow. Okay, real quick, for people who don't know, before Hank and I were TikTok phenomena. Um, (laughs) By the way, Hank, this is a tangent to the tangent, but Uh I've been walking in every evening to read Alice her uh, bedtime stories, Mm -hmm. and I open her door, and I say, uh, Good evening, Alice. It's your father. TikTok sensation, John Green. (laughs) It is really frustrating. Now, this is a tangent of the tangent of the tangent, but like that you have uploaded one TikTok and you have more followers than me. And I've had like Uh, four viral TikToks. And but I none have, as viral as my TikTok. Nope, not one as viral as your one. Also, everyone who watches your TikTok follows you because they're like, "Oh, well, he never posts, so it's yeah." Not a list. I'm not gonna. I, I'm not gonna be a problem for your feed. <laughs> exactly. I just made one TikTok so that I could walk into my yeah. uh, kids' room and announce myself as viral TikTok sensation John Green. Yeah. Anyway, before we were TikTokers. <laughs> Is that correct? TikTokers, yeah. And before we were podcasters, uh, we have made YouTube videos for a long time. And back in 2007, we made YouTube videos back and forth to each other every weekday for the entire year. And that was called Brotherhood 2 Mm-hmm. Back. back to the question. <laughs> I have noticed... You guys talk about Al Gore like a lot. <laughs> why? <laughs> I consider myself to be politically engaged. I have had a poster of Barack Obama on my bedroom well since 2009 when I was 10. Was Al Gore a lot more important in 2007 than he is now? Yes. If so, why? He really was. <laughs> he was He was so, way more important. Yeah. Well, you have to remember, he was only seven years removed from having lost the presidential election by something like 34 Votes in Florida, yeah, thirty-four contested votes. We should we should acknowledge, mm-hmm. and also he'd starred in this documentary called "An Inconvenient Truth" about climate change and getting people to understand the size of the of the climate emergency. Mm-hmm. And so he really was very very important. Yeah, I don't and I don't remember talking about him a lot in two thousand seven. He but, was I, well, I think he was also uh, getting ready to run for president. Like, was he? Yeah, I think. Well, I yeah. Jordan. No, no. He no. Yeah, he I run. think he, did. he didn't run. He didn't run. He in didn't. 2008? John John. You're, you're thinking of John Edwards. You're right. I am thinking of John Edwards. Yeah. Oh my. So Al Gore was important in 2007. I'm not sure why we talked about him a lot, yeah. but I also don't remember like anything from 2007. <laughs> I tell you, yeah, it's I, weird. It's it's weird to me that of course all of those videos are still on the internet, and I want them to be on the internet because mm-hmm. I want there to be like a record. I, th- I I think it's quite lovely that there's this record of what we were thinking at various points in time or what we were interested in that now, like, spans over Mm -hmm. 13 years. But I also, like, almost want there to be a disclaimer at the beginning of every Brotherhood 2.0 video where it's like, this was made in 2007 and John feels differently about almost everything now. I mean, I mean, this video was made in 2007, is broadcasted by the aspect ratio and quality of, of the video. Mostly, Hank, when I watched those old videos from 2007, I remember the time that we were on the phone with somebody from, like, Adobe or something because they wanted our opinion as, like, leading-edge technologists about the future of YouTube. And they were like, do you think it makes sense to release video cameras that can shoot in high definition. And we are like, no, (laughs) why would anyone want to upload a high definition video? I was like, I don't want to see that aspect ratio on YouTube. YouTube is four by three. (laughs) I mean, uh, yeah, we were like, it'll take forever to upload. No one will do that. Yeah. I try to remind myself of that every time I think about the future. Mm -hmm. Like, I am so wrong about the future so consistently, and and we all are, but me especially, (laughs) and and yet I continue to have opinions about the future. (laughs) Why don't I stop that? (laughs) At what point am I going to learn that I don't know what six months from now looks like? I don't know. Maybe we're going to go back to standard definition YouTube. Maybe. Yeah, I mean— I think that could totally happen if there was a legitimate apocalypse, J- John. I want to say a sentence to you and see what it what it does to your brain because someone said it to okay. me this week. Okay. Any individual entity that pretends to understand the rules that guide this space is under an illusion. Did that do anything to your brain? Yeah. But I don't know where it comes from. I've heard it before. Yeah, right? I had the same where? thing. And I was like, I can hear it being said. It's from Zay. It's from the original show. Oh, so the reason that Hank and I started making YouTube videos was because we were a huge fan of this guy, Zay Frank, who made a show on his website, zayfrank.com. They weren't even on YouTube. And we just loved this show so, good. so much. So good. And that, there's so many episodes of the show that hold up really, really well. But that line. I know. Yeah, like we do not understand the rules that govern these spaces. We do not. We do not. And he wrote a whole song, I think. Or there was, or that was that was the whole song, maybe. But it feels good to say. And also I feel like we'll never leave my brain, even if I forget where it comes from sometimes. Wow. All of which, all of which is to say that Al Gore (laughs) is a Is I mean Al Gore is still out there doing Al Gore yeah. stuff. Yeah, he's doing Al Gore stuff. I was in a meeting with him once. I looked up to him a lot. He was like a he was like a big a, influential in the environmental space. Yeah, he disappointed me a few times, definitely. But who doesn't? I mean, all of which is just to say that yeah, I mean Al Gore is still important. I think. Yeah, I'm sure he's doing stuff like if he like emailed me and was like I want to talk about something, I'd be like yeah okay yeah uh, I might pass. <laughs> I don't take a lot of meetings but hank hank t- hank'll take a meeting i like i like me I like a good meeting with al Gore just honestly just email Hank he'll take the meeting. <laughs> This next question comes from Anonymous. Dear Hank and John, how do you retrain your brain? I've been listening to Dear Hank and John since 2018. I've also listened to a lot of your other stuff, but I've only recently started watching Vlogbrothers. It's come to my attention that I thought Hank was John and John was Hank. How do I remember who is who? A mixed-up child. (laughs) So I've had this experience a bunch of times in my life. (laughs) Sure. And the thing is, you relearn it all at once. And then once you relearn it, you can't unlearn it. Yeah. It's like a switch that gets flipped. I listened to like six months of McElroy Brothers content before I finally like, it locked into place who was who. And then it was like, how would I not know that? For me, it was Rhett and Link. Oh, really? For many years, like the first like three years that I I watched Rhett and Link. So 2007 to 2010, Mm -hmm. I thought Rhett was Link and Link was Rhett. And- the moment when I realized I was wrong, I was like, oh, geez, I think I've met those guys. <laughs> I think I've done that. I may have said it out loud. I once jokingly uh, said to Rhett, You're Link, right? And he was like, No, 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 I'm Rhett. And I was like, it was a joke, <laughs> man. But like apparently it happens often enough. Well, there is something about Link that looks reddish and something about Rhett that looks Linkish. <laughs> That's just a fact. <laughs> excellent good point but yeah i don't worry about it it doesn't really matter which of us is which yeah i can't tell you how many people have gotten it mixed up anonymous so don't feel bad at all i see a tweet or tiktok daily that's like did you know that there's two of them i see that a lot i also get credit for your work oh yeah same which i i'm grateful for and People will come up to me and they'll be like, "You helped me so much with AP Biology," and I'll be like, "You're welcome." I mean, <laughs> I know, I know. Entertainment I Entertainment Weekly called me a God. prolific YA author. Entertainment <laughs> Weekly. <laughs> well, I mean, you're not even that prolific. I was going to say, by what definition <laughs> am I prolific? Like in comparison to whom exactly? Ever well, me. Five novels in sixteen years. If I've written one. Oh, yeah, I've but you weren't writing the whole time. No true. You've actually you, you're you're on pace to be far more prolific than I am. You could <laughs> we'll see how that turns out at, at current rates. You're going to pass me in like 2027. I definitely make more TikToks than you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like pumping them out. I made four in the last two days. Oh, my God. Really? At least I'm going made like five of them this weekend. All right, Hank, we have another question. This one comes from Scott, who writes, Dear John and Hank, what is the statute of limitations for the term? Late, for example, <laughs> at the moment, I would expect someone to right. say reference the late great Fred Willard. Mm-hmm. However, an article mentioning the late great Abraham Lincoln hmm. would just be silly. Yeah, what's the cutoff? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I guess the 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 goal, the work that that word is doing, the load it is carrying is yes, ju- just in case you were wondering, this person is not alive anymore, and so if we can reasonably expect that all people reading it will know already that that person is not alive, then we do not have to use that word. Am I correct? Yeah, I think that's exactly what it's designed to do, Hank. I think the intention is that if a certain percentage of readers will not already know that this person has passed away, that can help contextualize the quote. Mm-hmm. What about if the person just isn't on time, though? Right. Like, the per- th- then you say the perennially late <laughs> so, that, that, so perennially late doesn't mean just like dead, but and oh. has been and continues to be regardless right. of other circumstances. Okay, or or you say as I often say about you, the consistently unpunctual. Mm-hmm. I I can't tell you how many times on a conference call I've had to like kill time while waiting for you oh to join. God. And so I have, like, four or five things I always say about you to get Mm -hmm. people excited for when Hank comes on the call seven minutes late. (laughs) And, and like, the best is that several people have heard that hype speech more than one time. Oh, oh, yeah. So the first thing I say is I apologize for my chronically unpunctual brother. Mm -hmm. He will be here. Mm -hmm. Um, He's just sent me a text message that says he's five minutes away. And then the second thing I say is, did you know that in 1998, Hank Green was actually named the best dancer of Winter Park? Park High School. Mm-hmm. but And it, then the third thing that I say is, did you know that my brother Hank Green's new book, A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor, just got a starred <laughs> review from Library <laughs> Journal? And this whole time, I've just been on TikTok. Right. Yeah. No, that's the thing. You're not five minutes away and you haven't texted me. You're just on TikTok. Which reminds me, John, that apparently this podcast is brought to you by TikTok, for which I deeply, deeply apologize. Yeah. I mean, the only thing worse than having TikTok as an actual sponsor is basically giving (laughs) free marketing. And of course, today's podcast is also brought to you by The Cemetery of Yourself. The Cemetery of Yourself, it's crawling within and without, but not crawling because it's it's all deceased. And also, this podcast is brought to you by Al Gore. He was vice president for eight years and was important in the environmental movement. Okay. And also, this podcast is, of course, brought to you by A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor out July 7th. Available for pre-order now. Starred review in the library journal. We've also got a Project for Awesome message, John. It's from Moore's the Mama to, quote, my youngest babe. From Teletubbies to My Favorite Martian. From Mr. Spock to Buffy to The Good Place. You've been my constant companion. Now you've shown me the Green Brothers and Nerdfighters. We are on a new journey together. That's cool. That sounds cute, whatever it is. Thank you, Moors, for donating to the Project for Awesome. This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by ZocDoc. Look, there are, I think it's fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system, but there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor for me, and I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health. booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Every time I know it's coming, and I'm like, I'm going to have to say ZocDoc.com right now, aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. ZocDoc.com. And for joining your child in the wonder of Nerdfighteria. Okay, Hank, we don't usually address the, you know, the elephant in the room that Mm. is One Direction, (laughs) but... I thought this question from Ella was very important. She, she writes, dear H and JMG. It's a reference to a previous podcast. I recently found myself scrolling through the One Direction shopping page on Google in the middle of the night. That sounds about like uh, my current life. And I found the, the complete set of One Direction Hasbro figurines from 2012 for a starting price of $35 on eBay, which is a steal considering that Harry alone can cost nearly $100, although Liam is usually less than $10, but we needn't talk about that. My family... All tried to talk me out of this, but I'm currently the leading bid, and likely I will soon be the owner of this set. And so, my question for you is: When I come into possession of these One Direction figurines, what should I do with them? Should I make a One Direction shrine in the middle of my house? Should I buy a Barbie Dream House and make them live their lives inside of it? That one. <laughs> I mean, you it should sounds, do that one. I would watch this Ella, TV show. <laughs> well, I would watch this YouTube channel, yeah, and I would literally I mean, watch it. Mm-hmm. You do a animated, inside the Barbie dream house, life of One Direction as lived by this Hasbro figurine set. And I will subscribe to that YouTube channel, Ella. I'll pr- I promise you right now. I'm very excited for you. I hope that it goes well. They, I'm looking at the, the, the One Direction Hasbro. I'm not sure if it's the ones with the giant heads or the sort of more uh, traditionally proportioned ones, but either the, way, oh, it would be great. What? It's the ones, it's the traditionally proportioned ones. Okay, great. Either way, I'm into it. Although, yeah, the big-headed ones could make a cool could make a cool YouTube series too. It doesn't really matter which ones you have. They're, it's gonna be magical. It will, unless unless I outbid you right now. I'll tell you, I try very hard not to have a favorite member of One Direction in precisely the same way that you know you don't pick among your children yes. for which is your favorite. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> that Harry Styles. <laughs> He's just got something. Yeah, I'm more of a Nile man myself. Oh, no, you're not. I don't even believe you. That sounds like something that you just said to be provocative, you know? The way that, like, sometimes somebody... Who's intentionally trying to like get your attention' right. and be like, you know, Abraham, Abraham Lincoln was actually the worst president. <laughs> and then they'd be like, "Oh God, why was Abraham Lincoln the worst president?" And then they'll tell you some stupid reason why Abraham Lincoln was, oh, definitely the worst. Yeah, sure, worse than Andrew. you're not a Nile fan. I'm sorry, okay, you got me. Fine. Poor Nile, he really is just the Andrew Johnson of one direction. <laughs> Are you talking about the the late Andrew Johnson? Yes. Yes. The late (laughs) president, Andrew Johnson. Very, very late. All right, Hank, before we get to the all important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, we have to address one uh, super important issue, which is that a million people literally wrote us about what the size of Italy would be (laughs) if it were a shoe. (laughs) And nobody liked either of our answers. And lots of people used very complicated math <laughs> and i i can't even read most of these emails because some of them were like 3000 words long like they were they were big a couple people wrote actual phd dissertations on what size shoe italy would be if it were a shoe what i will so, say what i will say is that everyone yeah. agreed that you yours <laughs> you made no sense Okay, that's not quite true. <laughs> a lot of people understood what I was trying to do. They just disagreed yeah. <laughs> with my calculations. Uh-huh. Depending on your worldview, <sighs> the actual size of Italy, if it were a shoe, mm-hmm. is either a women's size seven, this is <laughs> according to the most convincing argument I read, which was written by someone named Lyle. It's mm-hmm. either a women's size seven or... <laughs> A size forty million one hundred fifty seven thousand four hundred seventy eight. There's <laughs> really two two schools of thought. I will say that the original question asker also wrote in. That's <laughs> <laughs> great, dear Green Brothers. Thank you for answering my question about what shoe size Italy would be. Hank's interpretation was what I was going for. Although John, I appreciate your answer too. That's very sweet. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your blank, too, is just, <laughs> I just like want that one sort of always at the disposal yeah. for me. Hank, I'm going to start with the news from AFC Wimbledon because right. it is big. All right. And it is important. AFC Wimbledon will play next season in the third tier of English football because right. they escaped relegation just barely. And I have to say, this is a horrible way to Mm -hmm. stay up. Like, I feel awful for the teams that are going down, especially for Tranmere Rovers, who would have had a very good chance of not being relegated if the the rest of the season had been able to play out. It isn't fair. And I, I feel bad about how it's ending. But of course, there's also nothing fair about any of this. And... In the end, AFC Wimbledon uh, are staying up because the ranking was done by basically dividing the number of points you'd gotten, Mm -hmm. one point for a draw, three points for a win, by the number of games you'd played. And Wimbledon just squeaked ahead of Tranmere by that uh, definition. So Wimbledon will be in the third tier of English football next season. And the new stadium at Plough Lane is taking shape and looking really good. Who knows when and how football will start again in the third tier? Uh, it's not gonna be this season. The rest of the season has now been canceled. Those games won't be played. Uh, but hopefully next season will start on time. But of course, the future is wildly unpredictable. When football starts back though Wimbledon will be in league 1 which is great news That's exciting um and and it will be at the new stadium question mark Yeah it wow. indeed it has to be because it can't be at the old stadium which is now the Chelsea women's okay. football club stadium Amazing that's great this will be Wimbledon's fifth season in league 1 which is incredible uh when we started this podcast Hank mm-hmm. you know the whole goal for Wimbledon was to not get relegated out of the fourth tier. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they went on that incredible run, made it to the playoffs, made it to the third tier. And they've just clung there year after year after <laughs> really year. So I'm excited fingertip. to see yeah. how we somehow escape relegation next season. Uh, <laughs> a, in every way possible is so far as how you've tried to do it. Seriously. Well, In Mars news, uh, if you think to yourself, you know what I'd like to do is help a rover find its way on a different planet, Uh, NASA has a thing that they would like you to do. You can help train the algorithm that they use to navigate Mars's terrain using, there's a tool on the internet called AI for Mars. It's a citizen science project geared towards trying to refine and improve the algorithms that classify various terrains on Mars. So your mission, should you choose to accept it, you sort images taken by Curiosity and you draw boundaries around different bits of terrain and you choose between four labels to describe what that terrain is, sand, soil, bedrock, and big rocks. So like rocks that you're not going to drive over. So by labeling the different images, you uh, will improve the soil property and object classification algorithm. That is an algorithm that's already being used to help people who work on the Curiosity team navigate Mars. So it turns out figuring out how to move a rover on a different planet is tough, um, so it's, you're trying to navigate the rover with a big light delay. So you like, can't just sort of like drive it like an RC car. You have to like give it instructions and it moves and then you get more information Then you give it instructions and it moves. Um, you also have to, uh, make sure that you like, you also have to take into account how the terrain might affect the wheels. So like it might not move as far as you expect it to. If it's on sand, you have to take into account how shadows affect Curiosity's distance calculations. And also, you have to make sure that the rover is pointing in a direction that will give its antenna a clear view of Earth so we can keep talking to it. So you have to like also always be paying attention to that. Oh, right, so it doesn't like accidentally like drive to the dark side of Mars. <laughs> yeah, that'd be bad. Uh, so it's a lot to figure out. It can take hours to plan the drives. So the classification algorithm helps them do this more quickly and more easily. And you can help uh, improve that algorithm. There are 8,000 images from Curiosity up on AI for Mars, and they hope to add more images from Spirit and Opportunity in the future. Volunteers are also translating the site into Spanish, Hindi, Japanese, and other languages, so more people can help out. So check it out at AI for Mars. How far away is Mars these days? Uh, Well, it changes. I know. That's why I said these days. Mars is currently 136 million kilometers away. So that's actually like quite a long way even if you were traveling at the speed of light. Like that's uh Yeah, like 7 couple, minutes. It's a couple It's about 7 minutes. Yeah, so it's a 14-minute round trip from us to the rover and back right now. And that's, that that changes a lot over the course of the year cuz when we're on the same side of the sun, we're very we're much closer and when we're right. opposite sides of the sun, we're double that more than double that so when you say it's not like driving a remote control car it's kind of like driving a remote control car only with like a 14 minute delay between <laughs> input and action yeah which would be difficult to sort of get it around a track I think uh oh yeah have to do uh, a lot no, of guessing. I definitely couldn't do that like make sure to turn 14 minutes early to avoid this sand trap like <laughs> yeah that's impressive I mean I It still boggles my mind Mm -hmm. that we are able to communicate in any way Mm -hmm. with a thing that is on the ground of Mars. Yeah, man. It's wild. It's it's almost as beautiful as sunlight itself. Now I'm just looking at the graph of how far away Mars is from us at any given moment. It really varies (sighs) dramatically. Well, Hank, thanks for podding with me. We're off to record our <laughs> Patreon-only podcast this week, and Hank looking at the distance between Mars and Earth. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosianna Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our communications coordinator is Paula Garcia-Prieto. The music you're hearing now is by The Great Gunnarola, and as they say in our hometown, don't forget to, to be, be awesome. awesome.